Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. A few years ago, researchers began to notice that people taking a specific class of drugs to combat diabetes were also losing substantial amounts of weight. The pharmaceutical industry being what it is, there are now a host of similar drugs in or coming to the market for weight loss. Researchers have been, quote, stunned, as nature put it, at how well the drugs work, especially against a backdrop of diets that simply don't. But what are the downsides? the costs. Who'll be able to get these drugs and what does it mean for hard-won body acceptance? Is this just another way we're trying to fix a societal problem with a pill? That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. These are the things we say should help people lose weight, and yet few people are able to lose substantial amounts of weight and keep it off. If you remember our episode about the Bloomberg podcast on dieting, it was horribly depressing. Their investigation's conclusion was, more or less, that diets rarely, and I mean rarely, work for the people who need them most. Let's stipulate also that this show isn't about fat phobia. It's not about making people feel ashamed about their weight. And it's not about whether BMI is a good measure for doctors to use to measure health. We understand these are complicated issues. People have staked out positions over lifetimes and developed worldviews. What this show is about is about how this new class of drugs go by names like Ozempic, Wegovi, and Munjaro intersect with all those other things. Or, as our first guest, Julia Belouz, wrote in a piece for Vox, the medicines have become a lightning rod in an obesity conversation that is increasingly binary, swinging between fat acceptance and fat phobia. Welcome, Julia. Hey, nice to, nice yeah. to be here. Thank you for joining us, and, and thanks for your work on this. These drugs are medicines, and we're also joined by two doctors who can help us answer precisely how these drugs work, how effective they are, and answer some of your questions, at least, about how to think about them. First, welcome Paymenda Kabandagama, an endocrinologist and obesity medicine specialist at Cleveland Clinic. He's also a spokesperson for the Obesity Society and vice president of the Midwest Obesity Society. Welcome, Paymenda. Hi, Alexis. Thank you for having me on the show. We're also joined by Diana Thiara, medical director at UCSF Weight Loss Management Program. She specializes in caring for patients who are overweight or obese and has a particular interest in helping them focus on nutrition and 
Lifestyle Adjustments to Optimize Their Health. Welcome. Hi, thanks. Happy to be here. So, Pamanda, let's uh, start with you. Can we first get clear on how these drugs work? Like, what specifically do they do inside our bodies? Sure. So um, I think one of the things I'd like to mention, I think you kind of touched on it also, is um, a lot of attention seems to be on Ozempic. Uh, I was having a conversation with your uh, engineer also before we started. Ozempic was FDA approved for diabetes. Vigobi mm-hmm. uh, is the same medication as Ozempic, the same molecule, semaglutide. It's actually approved for weight loss by the FDA. Mm-hmm. There is also a pill version of it, which is out there called Rebelsus, um, which uh, is also for diabetics with some weight loss. Um, so the way these medications work, these medications are called GLP-1 agonists. Uh, it's a big scientific name, glucagon-like peptide. What they do is they have a two-pronged approach, um, which was have not been seen in the previous medications out there. Uh, it tends to slow down gastric emptying, which means that food stays in your stomach for longer, keeping you full. And also it tends to work on a certain part of your brain called the hypothalamus, which basically helps to cut down your cravings, which is why these medications have a lot of success. Uh-huh. Julia, how did these particular drugs sort of get on your radar as a journalist? What, what kind of prompted you to start writing about them? Well, well I started um, covering obesity quite a while ago when I was at, um, I think it was like a obesity conference in the US and people were, I think this is like five or six years ago, and people were talking about some of the promising results from the diabetes trials just informally over lunch, mm-hmm. um, kind of saying, hey, this looks like something to to watch for. And then I, I only started really tuning into what was happening again when the, the approvals for um, when the approval for Wagovi came through um, and people started to use these drugs for weight loss in, in a way that we've never seen. And um, yeah, and then and then trying to just hear from patients what their experiences have been like. And I think that the most interesting part is that the reality uh, look, looks very different from, I think, what's happening in clinical trials. Hmm. Wait, talk to me more about that. So, so like the the results are quite astonishing, um, and many many patients have stories about, and, and I'm sure the clinicians on the call will will have many of these stories as well of people whose lives have been um, completely transformed by these drugs. Um, people who have tried to diet and exercise for decades, and and um, you know tried to just use the sheer force of will to lose weight and struggled, and then they they start to take Ozempic off-label or Wagovi, and suddenly their cravings vanish, their hunger decreases, and they're losing weight. But I think the, the most interesting part is that they're, they're sort of, this is the first time, so we have bariatric surgery, but it's the first time we have powerful and effective mm-hmm. drugs for, for weight loss, and they're kind of crashing against just the realities of the U.S. health system. Um, so there's like a lot of access issues people face. They start on the drugs and they have to, um, you know, find find ways to keep taking them because of either shortages or because of uh, changing insurance policies or coupon policies. So they many people have stories like that where they hit roadblocks. They have mm-hmm. to stop taking the drugs or switch um, which drug they're taking. And then I think the other thing that's really interesting, and I'll be curious to hear from the clinicians, is like a lot of people start on one drug and then their weight plateaus even out on the highest doses and they have to switch to another drug so the the, mm-hmm. the the i guess the paths on these medicines aren't always as straightforward as 
the clinical trials might suggest, if that makes sense. Yeah. We're here talking this morning about a new class of prescription drugs that in clinical trials have helped people lose very substantial uh, amounts of weight. We'd love to hear from you. Would you consider taking a drug like this? Are you currently taking one of these weight loss medications and how's it going? Have you developed kind of a, a worldview around weight loss that says, you know, diets don't work. I accept my body, myself, the way I am. Are these drugs kind of disrupting the way that you've thought about this? And give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. Um, Diana Thiara from UCSF. Uh, weight loss management program, you know, I I started getting ads for companies trying to push these drugs to me uh, a couple months ago and was kind of stunned at how, how quickly they had made it into the sort of Instagram ad world. Um, as a practitioner, like, how do you think about using these drugs? Who should be thinking about it, if anyone at all? Um, are they something you use in your practice? Like, just give me the kind of, like, basics of how you're uh, using this at UCSF? Yeah, so it's actually really tough for us as physicians when medications are marketed so heavily direct to consumer, but it's really common. Uh, you know, if you look at the study protocols, everyone was engaged in lifestyle change. So they had to be on calorie reduced diets, engaged in some form of activity. And in the supplement, so not in the main paper, but in the supplement, they do list that if you want to be included, it's for patients who they are going to say uh, list as highly motivated. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of follow that model in our clinic as well. Uh, not to be gatekeepers, but these medications have really high side effect profiles. And we know that um, patients who are eating sort of, you know, less fatty meals, more moderate portion sizes, it's going to just reduce their risk of having side effects. So we want patients to have be working on lifestyle change. It doesn't need to be perfect, but they need to be making uh, some changes, be learning about how nutrition and activity long-term will impact their health. And for our patients, we are using these medications when it's appropriate. But I think Julia brought up a really important point, which is a lot of patients their insurance doesn't cover it. And these medications are meant to be for long-term and even lifelong use. Mm -hmm. So if you can't pay $1,500 a month out of pocket, it's sort of a, a tough medication for patients to pay for in the long run. Yeah. Paymenda Kabandagama, I wanted to um, take a call early to you. Um, this is a really important question. Carrie in San Jose, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm wary of drugs for weight loss after what happened to people with 10, 10 years ago. And I was wondering how well this, these drugs have been vetted for safety for a weight loss drug. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carrie. Uh, Paymenda, um, I would say weight loss drugs have pretty checkered history in the scheme of these things, right? Yes, that's correct. Thank you so much for the, for your question, Carrie. So, 
I've had this discussion. I've been in weight loss for quite some time. So I have had this question about fen fen. There is a derivative of uh, the medication that we use now, fentramine. Uh, I can tell you with the current class of medications that we are talking about, Ozempic, Rigovi. Um, another thing that doesn't get mentioned as much uh, in the literature or the media, I, I would say more, is the fact that these medications, this class of medications, um, GLP-1s, are actually approved for three different functions. Um, they are approved for diabetes to bring your blood sugar down without causing low blood sugars, which is a big thing in diabetes, weight loss, like we are all talking about here. And currently the American Diabetes Association, the ADA, also recommends this medication to help people with coronary artery disease or heart disease. The reason is some of the medications in this class actually have been found to have heart benefits. So as an endocrinologist, Medications like Ozempic, we have been using now for multiple years. Of course, any medication is foreign to your body, and you should be working with the physician when you're being put on it, because there will be side effects that any medication will have. But what we are seeing from the current data, we are seeing that it's actually hard. There are hard benefits for it. Mm. You know, Julia, um, one listener tweets, there's so many mixed messages about weight loss, like in our society. Programs and groups say that doctors are body shaming if they weigh their patients. It's okay to be overweight, but now kids have weight loss surgery. Heavy is okay, but weight loss drugs are all the rage. Have you? How are you finding people trying to, trying to deal with ping-ponging between these quite disparate belief structures? Yeah, it's another fascinating kind of context around these drugs that they entered. They kind of yeah, came on the scene at a moment that there's this kind of very um, tense and complex conversation happening around um, weight in our society. And I think a lot of the patients I've been talking to feel stuck in between like fat acceptance and fat phobia, and they're struggling to navigate, um, yeah, how they understand their own motivations for losing weight. And um, I, I've, I've had clinicians say that they have patients who felt really guilty about trying to lose weight or going on these drugs because they felt like they were going to mm. somehow slow down the movement to fat acceptance. So it's, yeah, a very so kind of fraught and interesting time. Yeah. We're talking about a new class of prescription drugs that have uh, shown to help people lose weight with Julia Belutz, freelance health reporter, author of a recent New York Times essay on them. Pei Menda Kabandagama, uh, endocrinologist and an obesity medicine specialist at the Cleveland Clinic, and Diana Thiara a medical director at UCSF Weight Loss Management Program. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about this new class of prescription drugs that are helping people lose weight. They're initially developed for diabetes and have been extended into this weight loss realm. Drugs with names like Wegovi, if you've heard of that, or Zempic. We're joined by Julia Belluz, freelance health reporter and author of the recent New York Times essay, What New Weight Loss Drugs Teach Us About Fat and Free Will. Paymenda Kabandagama, an endocrinologist and obesity medicine specialist at Cleveland Clinic, also a spokesperson for the Obesity Society, and Diana Thiara, a medical director at UCSF Weight Loss Management Program. We're also uh, going to be taking a lot of your calls. Phones are going crazy right now. Um, let's bring in uh, Richard in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi there. Yeah, so uh, I was very fascinated to hear that um, most of the effects of these drugs, it sounds like, sort of affect people's psychology. In other words, mm-hmm. they feel full, they feel satisfied. It sounds to me like we actually know what will cause people to lose weight. And these drugs are really less about, I mean, it's like the magic pill that we've been hearing about for the rest of you know, our entire life. Mm-hmm. And so my curiosity is really, since we do know what causes people to lose weight, why are we pursuing drugs about this? I mean, is it really mm-hmm. only about the psychology? Anybody yeah, that's interesting. No, Richard, it's a, it's a, it's it like is this in your brain or is it in your body? In a, in a sense, you know, Julie, you have written about this and some of the stories that you've that you've written. I mean, how have scientists tried to sort of study what we call willpower and sort of the subconscious working uh, to make people eat more or less? Yeah, I think one one thing I certainly didn't appreciate until taking a deep dive into this is just how much. What we what we choose to eat and how much isn't only the product of conscious choices. And so I think about it as like we have signals coming from within our body and from the environment that are shaping our food choices and um, how hungry we feel, how we respond to, to, you know, what's offered in the buffet or what's on our dinner plate. And these drugs are the first to sort of tap into this appetite um, or eating behavior these these biological systems that govern our eating behavior mm-hmm. and so we're, we're kind of just at the beginning we don't fully understand how all of this works we know we've identified like sign not we scientists have identified many of the signals um and and they're working to understand this but but i think this is kind of the beginning of um potentially many other drugs that we're going to yeah. see come online that that um, are manipulating these systems Dana, I mean, obviously, this is something you must deal with at UCSF, trying to help people, you know, not just think better about what they're eating, but sort of, I don't know, subconsciously work better with their with their diets. Like, how do you uh, see Richard's question um, in terms of aren't there other ways other than drugs in order to do this? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. Um, and. Julia mentioned, you know, we we don't eat for energy homeostasis the way our ancestors did. So, you know, we've evolved very quickly in terms of our food environment, but we don't eat because of the calories we burn. We live in an environment where it's really easy to access high energy density foods and we're not necessarily moving as much as we used to. And so these medications like the GLP-1 receptor agonists are really new and powerful because they work centrally at the hypothalamus to promote satiety, which is feeling full. But then they also work peripherally at the level of the stomach to actually 
stop your stomach from letting food pass through so quickly. Mm. So in our practice at UCSF, while this medication is helping patients physiology, we're also working with them to try and create new patterns so that they're actively choosing to eat healthier foods uh, and working through some of these other barriers or aspects of their lives that kind of lead them to eat things that might be less healthy. You know, I, Jan, I just want to ask you, I mean, I, I have read things about doctors like cheering at conferences when like results are presented for some of these drugs. Do I sense that you're maybe a little more skeptical about them? No, I think they're revolutionary. And I think uh, as the dual GIP, GLP-1 receptor agonists like Manjaro come out and show even bigger weight loss profiles, I think that will, I think they will be really great and game changing for our patients. But I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think we know yet just because of access issues and also how long patients are actually going to want to stay on them. Uh, I don't know how it's going to look in 10 years, but I'm really optimistic about it. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. Um, let's bring in uh, Winston in Davis. Welcome, Winston. Uh, hello. Um, I'm calling because uh, I recently went on these drugs. Um, I'm uh, close to 400 pounds, and I've been uh, doing things the, you know, quote, big quote, right way for a very long time. Uh, about 12 years, I've been dieting a low-calorie diet. Um, every time I start to lose weight, um, it would kind of ramp up again, and I'd lower the calories and mm. ramp up again, lower the calories. And um, I'm eating like half as much as people around me, and I uh, and it was doing nothing. But after starting these uh, medications, I um, started feeling better. It was the better part that made me um, happy about them. I no longer felt like I was just absolutely starving all the time. And the uh, weight loss has been coming on uh, without me having to adjust my diet further, which has mm -hmm. been um, like basically magical. Like I know it's not magical, but basically magical for me. Um, and so I just wanted to let people know, like, my experience on that. Yeah. I mean, I just want to acknowledge, man, how frustrating that experience must have been and be. Um, just keep ratcheting down like that and just not having it work. Um, you know, thank you for uh, – stay, stay on the line with us, uh, Winston. I want to ask uh, Paymenda about, you know, people who are, you know, in, in Winston's spot. There's, you know, millions and millions of Americans who feel like, man, I'm trying so hard. I keep eating less. And nothing is happening. Nothing's working. Yeah. So um, I think the fundamental thing here is for us to understand that we should be treating obesity like a chronic disease. What I mean by that is, you know, um, if you notice the numbers of diabetes, high blood pressure, everything tends to go up. Obesity is the same. Um, it tends to get judged a bit more because we can see it. I tell this to my patients all the time. If you go to your blood pressure doctor, you know, if your blood pressure is high, they increase the medicine. If your diabetes is out of control, they increase the medicine, as opposed to even when you go to see a physician for weight, the first thing that they tell you is, oh, you're not, you know, eating less or not exercising. It's very frustrating. And I really applaud Winston for uh, calling in with uh, this point. And um, if you're handling something like a, a chronic disease, then you have to handle all aspects of it like a chronic disease. So we want to look at these medications as tools to diet and exercise. And I bring up this point because it all depends on that initial visit with the patient where you tell them, listen, the data shows that these medications also don't work in two years if you don't add exercise, because when you lose that significant amount of weight and you add exercise, that's how you maintain your weight loss. 
the key facets of weight loss and maintaining weight loss, which is the really big thing, which is that you cut down your calories or your food intake to lose weight, and then you exercise to keep that weight weight off. Mm -hmm. And so that initial medication is given as a boost to get you down to, you know, when you first started gaining a significant amount of weight and you were not able to move around as much. But that initial facet of diet and exercise is always part of the treatment, just like any chronic disease, along with the medications. Yeah. Hey, uh, Winston, have you been experiencing any of the side effects that people have have talked about? Uh oh, sorry, Winston. I think uh, we lost your your line for some reason. Apologies uh, for that. Um, you know, Julia, uh, I know you got to take off. Got some other um, stuff going on. I just I'm curious about like what you see going forward. Like, what are you reporting on? What are the next things that you know? If people have have you know kind of started to process the first wave of these drugs. Um, what's, what's out ahead of us that we should be looking towards? I think it's really this question of how, yeah, how the drugs roll out in the real world, in the health systems we have, um, how they integrate into people's lives over the long term. Um, as we just heard from Winston, that like, they, they can be absolutely life-changing and really support um, some of the lifestyle changes many people with obesity have already been making. Um, and and but but I think yeah, there's there's a lot of other hurdles like, um, yeah, as Diana said earlier, how how, you know, whether people can stay on them, um, because of insurance issues or whether um yeah whether there are other um adherence issues that or side effect problems that might come up over time, we really don't know um the long term what the long term effects will be. Yeah. So I think that that's something that I'm kind of tracking and trying to understand and follow up with the patients that I've been talking to. That's great. Uh, Julie Belus, freelance health reporter, author of the recent New York Times guest essay, What New Weight Loss Drugs Teach Us About Fat and Free Will, as well as a, a really great story um, as well in Vox, Obesity in the Age of Ozempic. Thanks for joining us and, um, you know, keep keep reporting on this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, we're going to keep going with a few more calls here. Let's bring in Karen in San Francisco. Welcome, Karen. Hi. Uh, this is Karen. Oh, can yeah. you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I just want to say that um, I'm actually on my way to the Jumpstart Clinic because I've been a patient there since August. And I, I've struggled with weight loss my whole life. I think I went from 14 to fat. I mean, and then I'm 64 now. So I've tried it all. I've tried all the medications. And I'm on Munjaro. And I will say that this is the first time in my entire life that I have felt normal about food. Mm. I don't, it's, it's, I would echo what Winston said. I, I would have used the word miracle, not magic, but magic works just as good for me. Um, I, I'm eating less. I'm eating way more healthy. I've lost 30 pounds. I, I'm, I'm very, grateful that I'm able to afford the medicine and to afford, uh, I invested in a personal trainer the first time I've been back in the gym in probably 20 years and I'm getting stronger. It's, I I can't say anything more than that. It's been a miracle for me. Gosh, you know, Karen, I'm really happy for you. That's, that's great. (laughs) And have a, have a good appointment. I, I, you know, Diana, I just, you know, I, I feel like I have um, you know, I've read some of these stories and I, I think our callers are, are coming through with this. I mean, this does feel like it's really like quite different from previous things. And I, I maybe I'm just 
been a journalist for too long, but it makes me feel like it, people magical miracle. I, I I personally feel my skepticism rising about what is going to happen, even though I'm so happy for people who are having these experiences. Yeah, no, it, it is. I think great to hear these stories, and the study for Manjaro shows great results. And so the you know Manjaro is a totally new type of medication with the GIP GLP one receptor agonist combination. Um, and so we actually see pretty significant weight loss results in the studies too. So I think it's really great. Um, we also sort of live by the moniker of anecdotes are not evidence, but in this case, the evidence is showing that people are having amazing results. But again, these callers uh, have told us about their great personal work they're also doing. So we just have to keep in mind that medications for weight loss are an adjunctive tool to lifestyle change. So it's a really, it is one big picture. I think Pimint and I are both um, hitting this point over and over again to make it very clear mm -hmm. that you have to be working on all facets of, of the picture. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about this new class of prescription drugs. They are GLP-1 agonists. Uh, you might know them, might have heard about them, uh, like Wegovy. Um, or uh, Ozempic, we'd love to hear from you. I mean, have you struggled with weight loss? What questions do you have about these drugs? You've obviously heard some of our callers have had these tremendous experiences. Um, what are the things that might still be holding you back or you're, you're skeptical about? Um, you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. I also know, you know, myself included and many people out there have kind of struggled to accept our bodies as they are. And I, at least myself, find these drugs to be quite a sort of like smack across the face. Like, wait, what, is this, what does this mean? How do I process what this means for this work I've been doing for my whole life? Uh, give us a call. It's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. Let's go to uh, Margo in Pleasant Hill with a different perspective. Hi, um, good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just want to put in a little pitch for the confounding variable of that when your nutrition settles down, the nutritional, the sort of uh, better eating habits from believing you're losing weight will also help your appetite. I lost 100 pounds 30 years ago, hmm. and, I, and I have kept off permanently 75. I never gained any of that back. Wow. I'm 73 now. So, um, but it was, it was, I, I'm a, I'm a health professional. Um, I worked as a health professional. I had tried various methods. And at some point I said to myself, you know what to do. <laughs> so basically I just want to make a few points. I, I basically used all kinds of things. And I think when you diet or when you, that it's a long-term kind of view. Mm -hmm. I, for example, took a year to take that off. I had a month where I didn't lose any weight. Mm -hmm. So, and I had to learn how to fail. I had to learn to, you know, feel like, oh, I failed. I also had to have the idea that I wasn't going to diet myself into somebody else's. Oh, uh, no, Margo, I think we, we lost you as well. But I think we, the your story is uh, is amazing and congratulations um, as well. I... You know, I, I think there's a, there's a hard question there, um, Paymenda, which is just, you know, most people aren't able to do what Margot did, right? I mean, am I, am, I, am I mistaken that losing 100 pounds and keeping a lot of weight off is like a vanishingly rare outcome for most people? 
So first of all, I'd like to thank Margot for bringing that point because it's a beautiful point that I bring up with a lot of my patients. It's even more beautiful if you think about the fact that she's a healthcare professional. And I can tell you as one myself, we are notoriously bad at taking care of our health because of the hours we work and you know just not being able to get to physicians ourselves um, or providers ourselves. Um, so it's actually an excellent point, right? So um, why that is an excellent point is what I always tell the patients is learn from the medication. So the different medications out there, some of them help you to stay away from your cravings. Some of them to help you to just cut down your appetite. So I have patients who say, you know, Dr. C, you know, I would go to the vending machine in the middle of the day. I don't do that anymore. Uh, I would go to my favorite ice cream sundae place on Fridays. I don't do that anymore. So even at some point, some patients, when they ask me, can I get off the medication? I tell them, yes, you can. Just like any chronic disease learn from the medication, your kind of sticking points, and that's how you get the weight off and keep it off. I do know that in, uh, you know, the Obesity Society has Obesity Week every year in November. Last year, we talked about the fact that there are a lot of new drugs coming out that will also help with weight maintenance, which is the kind of the next big thing that's coming, as well as uh, not losing muscle. But one of the most important things here is exactly what Margot said, learning from the medication, where you're eating indiscretions or your exercise indiscretions are, and then just adapt them into your regular life so that you can keep the weight off in the long term. Yeah. We're talking about this new class of weight loss drugs. A lot of uh, comments coming in of, of different types. One listener tweets this, that very expensive weight loss drug sounds good for the pharmaceutical company because if you stop taking it, you will regain weight quickly, medication for life. And I think just double-checking, Pim, and that has been what's been happening with people, right? If they go off these drugs, they do gain weight back. Studies have shown, um, I, I'm not quoting exact numbers, that approximately 50% of the patients can have weight gain when they get off mm -hmm. uh, the medication. And I think, again, the reason there is being told right at the start um, that when you're using these medications, that it's a tool to diet and exercise. It's going to help you with your arthritis so that when you, you know, mm -hmm. so that you're able to move more. And along with the medication, if 50% gain the weight, that means 50% do not. That means 50% have been told at the start that this is adjunct to your diet and exercise. And if you add that on, then you're going to do fine. We're talking about a new class of prescription drugs helping people lose weight with Paymenda, Kibandagama, uh, endocrinologist at the Cleveland Clinic, and Diana Thiara, medical director at UCSF Weight Loss Management Program. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the sort of implications of this new class of prescription drugs that have been shown in studies to help people lose weight, initially developed for diabetes, and now the uses have, have extended. We're joined by Deanna Thiara, Medical Director, the UCSF Weight Loss Management Program, and Paymenda Kabandagama, an endocrinologist and obesity medicine specialist with the Cleveland Clinic, also spokesperson for the Obesity Society. Earlier, we were joined by Julia Belluz, a freelance health reporter and author of recent New York Times essay, What New Weight Loss Drugs Teach Us About Fat and Free Will. Um, Diana, I want to ask you about uh, another uh, tweet that came in. Uh, Rebecca writes, I'd like to point out that, quote, obesity is not a disease that requires treatment. It is based on a faulty and racist measure of health, the BMI, and merely describes the size of a body, not an actual health problem requiring medication. You can be fat and healthy. The fact that these drugs are now being suggested for kids as young as 12 by the AAP, uh, that's a pediatrics um, society, setting them up for a lifetime of continuing on these drugs, even though they have no diagnosable health problem. Um, talk to me about the, the points that Rebecca raises there. Yeah, I think that's all really interesting. So from my perspective as a physician, my goal is to help people be healthy and live joyous, fulfilling lives for a very, very long time. So I agree. Someone can be people can be healthy at any size. And we know that's a a, a common phrase and a movement. And so I, a lot of work I do is helping people work some of their own internal weight bias that they have and sort of telling them you're healthy, you're exercising really well, you're eating really well. uh, You have a good quality of life, sort of why, why do you want these medications? And we do need to be looking at each person individually. And I know your intro was that we're not going to talk about the flaws of BMI, but she's right. There are a lot of flaws. It was not developed in a diverse population at all. And so- Oh, we can definitely talk about it. I just mean, okay. yeah. what is it, how do these drugs help us think newly about these things perhaps? Yeah, go, go ahead, yeah. describe no, it. Yeah. I think it's up to us as clinicians. We use BMI as a screening tool and screening tools are supposed to be sensitive, which means- we don't want to miss anybody. So we may be over-diagnosing and then we as clinicians look at each person as an individual and work with them to understand how their health is. And then we decide if medications are necessary. And I, so I, I think she's totally right that it's not this sort of, you see an elevated BMI and then you just automatically prescribe a prescription. It's very much individualized medicine. And in terms of the pediatric guidelines, they've really made a huge splash. I'm not a pediatrician, nor Mm -hmm. am I a family medicine doctor, so I I don't know how to comment too much on that. Um, But we do know that in kids who have obesity, the rates of children with obesity becoming adults and no longer have obesity, that that is not very common anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the AAP made these huge changes in their guidelines. Yeah. Hey, why hasn't BMI ever been updated? Alexis, do you mind if I chime in? Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead, Pimenda. Yeah. So, um, you know, this concept always keeps uh, being brought up. 
the you know the fat but fit uh, movement uh, like Diana mentioned, and Diana mentioned some excellent points. So uh, what I want uh, you know your listeners and everybody to kind of understand is um, is the way physicians look at it again, like Diana mentioned, is it's it's a health thing, right? For us, it's not about judging it; it's about health. So you know the concept behind putting on too much weight, most people assume is also because of diabetes, high blood pressure. But uh, there's also another component of it, which is the mechanical effect of having weight. So you have to think about things like osteoarthritis. There was a new study uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago out of Norway where they looked at increased BMI causing frailty in later life. So, you know, the data shows that, you know, there are still effects that can happen even if, you know, you're putting on weight, but you don't have diabetes, high blood pressure. You don't want to be having osteoporosis when you're in your 40s or 50s or walking around in crutches, getting knee replacements, back replacements. And the way that physicians come from it, you know, it's the Hippocratic Oath that we took, which means that we try to make sure we don't hurt you even mm-hmm. more than we try to help you. So, you know, it's something that we want to think about. In terms of BMI, um, yes, there are multiple flaws with BMI. I myself, I'm Sri Lankan, so I'm considered Asian Indian. Um, So actually the BMI cutoffs for uh, myself as per studies, people from sub-Saharan Africa, um, it is actually lower because of the concept of visceral fat. My hope is that as we get more and more studies on and with such a push for weight loss, that they will start changing these guidelines Mm. because BMI also does not tell the difference between um, muscle and fat tissue. Um, you know, some of the actors out there, like The Rock, if you look at their BMI, it's probably in obesity class too, but it's all muscle. Right, so right. You know, it's not, it's a very faulty measure. Yeah. Um, let's bring in Janet in Berkeley. Janet? Yes. Hi, welcome. Um, I just, hi, thank you. So I just want to say I work in healthcare as a chronic conditions case manager, and I'm just concerned that, you know, we come up with new drugs that are uh, expensive. And when you look at the populations that are morbidly obese, whether it's California or Mississippi or Alabama, um, you know, there are people of color, there are poor people that are have, that are 200, 400 pounds overweight, and they're not going to have access to this wonder drug unless Medicaid has approved it. And then you also have providers that aren't going to see them as viable options if they can't hire a trainer or they can't afford a, a private gym membership. And in their communities, they can't go jogging because it may not be safe. Mm-hmm. So how and what are we doing to look at this drug from the perspective in terms of research to make it available and to, to avoid? you know disparity in healthcare again right again, not amplifying the disparities really that we know exist already right absolutely they already exist high rates of diabetes people needing a dialysis because of their obesity and their diabetes and hypertension being out of control and and they can't lose weight because fast food is cheap but yet they haven't been taught how to eat properly and they're not going to have access to a drug that's $1200 a month mm. or $1500 a month so what are we doing to bring them into this process? Are we using them as part of our you know, uh, study group? Are we uh, pushing Medicaid to make the drugs available to them? What are we doing to, to avoid further disparity of health care? Jan, thank you so much for, for that call and, and that perspective. Paymenda, um, I, I mean, I assume the Obesity Society is kind of working on these issues or has like uh, wants to expand access to these drugs, given what you've said so far. 
Yes. Um, again, thank you so much for the caller, bringing up another very, very important point. Um, speaking anecdotally, I've always worked in what is termed as underserved areas. Um, I did my residence in Brooklyn, New York. I did, you know, my uh, initial straight out of fellowship. I did trained in um, downtown Kansas City. I currently work in Ohio, actually serving the Youngstown, Ohio area. And this is a big problem, access, right? Um, I have worked with multiple groups uh, in the past, and I know there are multiple groups out of the Cleveland Clinic. Even when I was in Kansas City, there were groups there that are actually going forth um, to Congress, trying to get um, certain um, of these medications approved, either through Medicare, and I'm a strong proponent of getting these medications on. I do want uh, the Medicaid population to know that out there, different states do have some of these medications on their preferred drug list. I also want them to know that they have programs in place that they should look into, things like silver sneakers for elders where they get discounts. There are also programs where you can get discounts from your obesity practitioner or your endocrinologist to actually get discounts to go to things like gyms. I've had patients who do the $1 a day for getting access to the track. There are places that um, and different states that allow this but there's a lot more work to be done. And hopefully this is one of the things that we try to do with all the different associations there. Of course, we do need government support with it. So we will keep on fighting for this. Yeah. A uh, couple, uh... I... oh, go ahead. Chime in. Sure. Locally, yeah, locally um, UCSF, we have uh, some really great initiatives. So we have a food pharmacy for patients who have any signs of food insecurity in primary care at UCSF. We give fresh produce to patients twice a month. And then we, yeah, we also try and have fitness classes that are free as well. So we're trying our best to reduce those other health disparities associated with medications. And then if someone has diabetes, we can prescribe things like Ozempic. SF Health Plan does pay for it and so does Medicaid, but it's really in the absence of diabetes that we're, we're going to see more of these disparities play out. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's get um, Joy on the phone. Joy in Woodland, California. Welcome. Hi, thank you for um, having me on. Um, I graduated from UCSF decades ago from the School of Pharmacy. So just a shout out to <laughs> my alma mater. It's a great school. But um, as a retired clinical pharmacist, I was still working when the GLP-1 drugs started coming out for diabetes. And in that space, you know, they're really a welcome addition. But I think it's important to point out that there can be some really serious side effects. And I would just ask um, the two physicians uh, whether or not they've seen much problem with the pancreatitis or effect on the kidneys in the obese population. That's the first part. And the second part is I just want to comment that although you can be over obese and healthy, there was an, our recent pandemic event really demonstrated what a health risk obesity is mm. because um, it was a huge problem with the COVID pandemic. But yeah. anyway, back to the question about yeah. effects, I was just wondering. Thank you, Joy. Appreciate that. Um, Dana, do you want to uh, take that one on? Because you talked about side effects earlier in the show. Yeah, so we see the, the more common side effects being things like nausea, vomiting, like some bowel changes, uh, injection site reactions happen sort of rarely, but I haven't 
personally seen anyone develop the severe side effects with like the pancreatitis or cholecystitis. Uh, we had one patient ha develop the kidney injury, but they recovered after we came off. Um, but I think, and Paminda may be able to speak more to this, the, the serious side effects in the studies were also very rare. So there, it's not really something we're seeing that commonly. Yeah. Same for you, Paminda, same for you. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I haven't seen much of it, but the truth of the matter is because we do uh, follow what we call safe use protocol when we try these medications. And this is, uh, you know, to drive home the point that if you're going to be on these medications, uh, make sure that you're under a qualified uh, healthcare professional when you do this. Um, the reason is one of the side effects, uh, which is not mentioned, I think, a lot again, is rapid weight loss also predisposes to gallstones. Mm. And gallstones can cause, you know, it's one of the most common causes of pancreas. Pancreatitis. So along with the medication itself causing pancreatitis, rapid weight loss itself is a risk factor. So, you know, making sure you're with the right healthcare professional who's increasing your dosages when it needs to be done mm -hmm. or who's monitoring you is very important. Gotcha. Um, and especially making sure you meet criteria when you're being on weight loss medications yeah. is very important. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations, including KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We have uh, some pretty outstanding comments that have come in, and I just want to um, get to a few of them. Alberto in Berkeley writes in to say, Growing up, I was always slender. When I turned 35, I started gaining weight, and by 38, was 210 pounds. After throwing my back uh, out my back twice and having high cholesterol, I decided to make a change. Hearing Noom sponsorships on KQED, I decided to sign up for Noom. It worked great for me, and over the course of six months, I lost over 50 pounds. In the process, I learned to have a better relationship with food, hunger, and perceived hunger, and became an avid road cyclist. I've kept the weight off, have great cholesterol numbers, and with my newfound love of cycling, managed to ride three to four times a week, distances I never thought possible. I'm now in great uh, health, sleep like a rock, and have a better overall mood. Lee writes in to say, I lost 80 pounds nine years ago over a period of 16 months. I exercised for 45 to 60 minutes, five days a week, and cut back on meat and dairy. I increased vegetables and whole grains. Since then, I've gained back 20 pounds during COVID, and I have stayed there. I still eat well and struggle to exercise, but I walk daily with my dog. I'm sad that people are being sold this drug. If the same amount of money were directed at lowering the cost of healthy foods and eliminating fresh food deserts, we would have a much healthier population Support people to have less stress in their lives, and they'll be happier and not turn to fast and unhealthy foods. Um, when you are working, Diana, um, at UCSF, you know you mentioned the the food pantry. You mentioned um, kind of trying to provide this kind of holistic care. In the long term, what do you think this these what role like are drugs going to play in this overall set of things that you're trying to do for people? I think weight, everyone's weight and their relationship to eating, it's very complicated. Some of the the people who've been telling us their success stories, it's amazing. Uh, and sort of separately, every person is different. And some people can have the most resources, a private chef, a personal trainer, and everything you could imagine, and they still struggle with weight loss. And for other people, it is uh, you know, lack of resources, and we provide the resource, we provide the education, and they can lose a lot of weight. But both scenarios kind of can cross over socioeconomic status, resource level, education level. So 
it, it's never a one-stop solution. And so I think the medications are definitely going to always play a role. And I think now with these metabolic medications, like the GLP-1 receptor agonist, it's just going to play more and more of a, a role in weight management. Have they changed, like you as someone who works in this field every day and you see how people struggle, have they changed the way that you you think about weight loss? Yeah, I mean, I for sure. So there's lots of people who co- have come in to my clinic every month um, for a few years and they're trying their best and, you know, they're making the healthy food and then they just don't eat it or they take it to lunch and they just don't eat it. There's some block and then just starting a medication, things just click. And there's, we don't know why the patient can't put their finger on why, but they say like, it's just easier for me to do the goals that I'm coming up with you um, on. And it's, it really is amazing when it works, but it doesn't work for everybody. That's the other piece of the puzzle. Some patients are on these medications and they don't have weight loss or their side effects, the nausea and vomiting are so significant that they can't stick to it. So I never want to sort of espouse that this is a miracle and it's going to work for everybody. But for those it does work for, it does does do wonders. Yeah. Um, Jeff in Palo Alto writes, as a physician, I'm very pleased to help patients lose weight and these drugs are a great tool. I particularly agree with your Cleveland Clinic expert that you should try to use them as a tool to kickstart the weight loss. But at some point, I try to get patients off the meds. Studies are needed to determine if these expensive medications are cost-effective to the system by preventing the consequences of obesity and those long-term costs, in addition to the social implications and the environmental effects, including plastic waste, and who's responsible for that. Um, Payment, I wanted to take this uh, last one to you. I mean, should people try to get off these drugs once they've started them? Uh, do you mean if they reach their goal? Yeah, let's say they just... reach their goal, yeah. Absolutely. And this is a question that is brought up to me quite a few times. Hey, Dr. C, can I get off the medications? And that should be the ultimate goal, right? So again, I, you know, t- what Diana just mentioned, I think what your callers just mentioned, the drive home point here is to look at obesity as a chronic disease. And just like any other chronic disease, there are multiple studies showing that weight loss cures diabetes. It's not often that doctors use the word cure. Weight loss cures type 2 diabetes. Weight loss cures sleep apnea. So just like when you reach your goal weight or your height, um, then you're you're cured, then you don't need to be on these medications. But that is with the understanding that these medications you've been using as a tool, you've added diet and exercise and kind of got to where you need to be and now you're just on the road to maintenance, then you should get off the medications because it is a foreign substance to your body and you don't need it if you don't need it. Yeah. We've been talking about this new class of prescription drugs that you may have heard about. They have been shown in studies to help people lose weight. We've been joined by Paymenda Kabandagama, endocrinologist and obesity medicine specialist at the Cleveland Clinic and spokesperson for the Obesity Society. Thank you so much for joining us. We've also been joined thank by you for us. Yeah, thank you. We've also been joined by uh, Diana Thiara, medical director at the ECSF Weight Loss Management Program. Thank you, Diana. Thank you. Earlier, we were joined by Julia Baluth, who's written some great stories about that. Look them up. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.